How y'all feeling? <laughs> Seems like a fitting question for the current conversation that we're having. Today marks part three of our latest series, All the Feels. All the Feels. As the name indicates, this one is about the emotions that we experience and what we do with them. What do we do with them? Scripture tells us that we are created by God in his own image, in his own likeness, and our capacity to feel is an expression of that good design. God feels we are made for feeling too, but our emotions can be tricky. Our emotions can be treacherous terrain. Y'all know anything about that? I'm not sure if I can trust what I'm feeling at this present moment. They're, they're complicated. At times, they're even conflicting, which can leave us confused. It can leave us unsure of what to make of them, how to handle them. And yet, there's no denying how, how integral, how influential they are to our lives. So together, we're studying the biblical blueprint to help us navigate our moods in a healthy way. Thus far, we've laid out a bit of a framework for our emotions. Just a quick recap, we should neither detach from them nor be driven by them. Either of those extremes will lead you to problematic places. Don't detach, don't be driven by them. Rather, they function like a dashboard that supplies us with information. What's going on inside of me? What's going on around me? From there, we turn to dealing with some specific emotions. And the first of the feels that we unpacked together was anger. Anger. That was a fun one. I really like preaching that. I hope you, you enjoyed that one as well. But if you, if you missed either of those messages or if you want to hear them again, you can head over to our website or Facebook page for the replay. Today, I want to shift our attention to another common and complex feeling, fear. Are you acquainted with this one? Fear. It's a potent emotion. It lands in so many different places. It seems to have the ability to invade any context, any circumstance, we know it by a number of names, worry, dread, panic, phobia, alarm, apprehension, anxiety. It unsettles us. It's that, that hollow in the pit of your stomach. It's that shadow that's prowling at the back of your mind. It's that thief that steals your peace. Fear is certainly no stranger to us. But I want to pose a question today. What if there's more to it? What if there's more to it? What if, what if fear isn't always the enemy that we think it is? Now, I want to preface this and, and say that there's a lot of facets, there's a lot of factors in play here. Sometimes 
There's, there's medical stuff going on. Sometimes there's mental stuff going on. My aim today is to deal with fear at a spiritual level. Okay, And to do that, we're unpacking some events in the life of a familiar character. We might consider these incidents a case study in fear. And herein, we can discover a template for facing fear, dealing with fear in our own lives. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app at the ready, would you join me at Psalm 34? Psalm 34. If you need a little help navigating there, the book of Psalms is right in the middle of the Bible. It's like a hymnal or a songbook. A a psalm is lyrics that were at one time set to music, and they were intended to be used in worship. They were sung. Many of them were composed by a shepherd turned soldier turned king by the name of David. And his words are a window into his story. They're, they're a window into his soul. Um, they reveal his, his thoughts, his perspectives, how he processed what was going on in his life. It's a lot like a, a journal or diary entry. David was a guy who had all the feels. He had some very, very big emotions, and David was honest about those emotions. To the topic at hand, even... This man's man, this warrior, this this valiant, intrepid soldier knew what it was like to feel fear. And in Psalm 34, he tells us about it. He writes this, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. David had some fears. If you've got some fears, you're in good company, friend. And he shows us what to do with that. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called. And the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And he delivers them. All right, we're going to pause right there. There's a lot more to Psalm 34. We're not going to read it right now. I'd encourage you to do that in your devotional time this week. This is one of a handful of David's psalms for which we are given a historical context. What does that mean? That means we know something that was going on in his life that goes with this. There's something that's happening, something that David is walking through, something that he's facing that prompted him to write these words. Oftentimes, we don't know what that is. This one we do. The opening of this psalm includes this description. When he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. That sounds like a story, doesn't it? He pretended to be insane. So, so what's, what's going on here? The details are recorded in chapter 22 of a book called 1 Samuel. And here's what happened. Before becoming king himself, David served in the court of Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. 
What you need to know about Saul is that he was a very insecure individual. Saul had deep insecurities. He was intimidated. He felt threatened by David's abilities, David's anointing. But rather than owning that and taking responsibility for his own growth, his own betterment, Saul tried to fix the situation by getting rid of David. Not that any of us would ever lash out at other people instead of dealing with our own issues, right? We wouldn't do that. We'll come back to that one later. Save that message for another day. After multiple failed attempts on his life, David fled. He ended up as a refugee in a city called Gath. And that destination is an indication of David's desperation. Because Gath is a leading city of a tribe called the Philistines. And if you know anything about the Philistines, they don't play nicely with Israel, David's people. They're sworn enemies. There is an ongoing blood feud between these two nations. There is much blood spilled on both sides. And for his part, David had a reputation, reputation as a Philistine killer. To give you one example, in one of Saul, Saul's schemes to take out David, he offered David his daughter in marriage for a bride price of 100 Philistine foreskins, which David paid. Okay, now the Bible doesn't go into detail on this. I'm kind of glad it doesn't. I'm not going to unpack that further, except to say that I'm fairly certain that the 100 Philistine donors did not give those up while they were still breathing, okay? Also numbered among the countless Philistine foes that David defeated was a champion by the name of Goliath, whose hometown was Gath, the city that David has just run to. Now, adding insult to injury, just before arriving, David makes a detour to reclaim the sword that he took from Goliath. And if the description of the rest of Goliath's gear, his weapons, his armor, or any indication here, this is a sword you would recognize. You would not miss it. So David walks into town strapped with the sword of their hero that he killed and with which he took said hero's head. What are you thinking, David? I'm not sure that he is thinking. Clearly. Maybe in his desperation, in his fear of Saul trying to get away, trying to flee to safety, maybe his judgment has been clouded. Fear can do that to you, yeah? Or maybe he thought that this sword was his insurance policy. Don't mess with me. You see what I did to your champion. Or maybe he just thought that the enemies of his enemy would be his friends. Whatever the case, they recognize David very quickly. He has a reputation that precedes him. Isn't this the one that our enemies sing that song about? 
You know that, that catchy little tune, David has killed ten thousands. News travels that their arch enemy has arrived, and of course they have good reason to hate him. They have good reason to, to kill him. David, for his part, has good reason to be nervous, and, and, and that's exactly what happens. The text says that, that he is very much afraid. He realizes that he has made a mistake. Sometimes the things that we're afraid of, we have no control of, no, no power over. Sometimes, as in this case, we create our own fears. Good news, God will still meet you there. Things just went from bad to worse. David's trapped. He's got Saul on one side. He's got the Philistines on the other. So what does he do? He enters a plea of insanity. Don't mind me. I'm just a crazy guy. Maybe, maybe the stress got to him, right? It was, it was just too much. It overwhelmed him. And, and, and David had a breakdown. He pretends that he lost his mind and he sells it by drooling in his beard and, and scratching at doorposts. David must be a very convincing actor because the Philistine chieftain buys it and dismisses him as harmless. Close call. But back to the question, what... What can this teach us about fear and how we should navigate it in our own lives? Unpacking David's words in Psalm 34, we can extract some helpful insights here. And I think we need to lead off with a clarification. Fear is not a faulty emotion. Okay, fear in and of itself is, is not, not bad. It's not wrong. Just like anger, it has a place. In fact, fear can be a friend. Now, now maybe at this point you're thinking, yeah, yeah, but Pastor Keith, the Bible says don't be afraid, doesn't it? Yeah, it says that a lot. Fear not over and over and over again. But, but you need to remember that context is essential. When we read the Bible out of context, we read it wrong. Okay, so, so what's the context to those statements? What exactly does it tell us not to be afraid of? What is the object of the fear that God forbids? That's the real issue. It's a bottom line this fear is about focus. Your fear is about your focus. And we know this, don't we? Fear feeds on that, it feeds on our attention. It has no substance if we give no thought to it. It gains power over us when? When it takes root and takes residency in our minds. That's when it controls us. So in all of those places that scripture instructs us not to be afraid, it does so because there's something there that we're not to me meant to focus on. We're not meant to give our energy to that. Why? Because those things will divert our focus, our attention, our energy from where it should be. Stay with this. Did you notice that there are two different kinds of fear that David talks about here? More accurately, more to the point, there are two focal points of fear. David speaks of the fears that, that he's saved from, fear of his enemies, 
fear of his predicament, fear of his circumstances, fear of what might happen to him. He talks about that, but he doesn't stop with that. He also talks about fearing the Lord. And that he describes as something that's positive, something that's beneficial. It's his fear of God that delivers him from all the other fears. And if we keep reading, he keeps saying this. Take a look at it. Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. Jump down to verse 11. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. This is David's focus. This is what gets his energy, what gets his emphasis. But what exactly is he talking about here? What does this look like? What does this mean? Well, used this way, the Hebrew term that's translated as fear speaks of reverence or honor. It's standing in awe of something. See, we hear fear and we automatically think afraid, don't we? That those two things are synonyms. They're not synonyms. Sometimes that's the case. Other times it's not. Fear can lead you to being afraid, but it can also lead you to being in awe. And those are two very different destinations, church. The scriptures make a distinction between wrong fear and reverent fear. And church, I would tell you that we need to make that same distinction. There's a wrong fear, but there's also a reverent and right fear. The wrong kind will lead you to worry. The right kind will lead you to worship. Again, two very different destinations. The difference is focus. What is your mind fixed on? Isn't that what we see happening here in this psalm? David starts out being afraid for his life. But then he pivots. Something changes. Now, it's not that that's unimportant, that that his safety is, is somehow not a legitimate concern. That's not the case at all. But there's something of even greater magnitude in play here. We'll come back to that. David shifts his focus from his situation, his circumstance, to the one that can save him from it. See, it's not, it's not that the circumstance changes, at least not right away. David's still in Gath. He's still surrounded by people who hate him, people who would love to take him out. We'll write a song about that. How's that, David? The circumstance hasn't changed. What has changed is his perspective. Perspective changes. He says he called out that he saw, God, I was looking at that. That's not my attention anymore. Now I'm looking at him. This is the takeaway for us, church. Do what David did. Reframe your focus. Reframe your focus. Some of you are crippled by fear. Reframe your focus. When you feel afraid, examine that emotion. Dig into it. Interrogate it a little bit. What are you giving your energy to? What are you giving your your attention to? 
What's occupying your thoughts? What's, what's taking root in your imagination? Is it the situation? Is it the circumstance? Is it, is it the problem? Is it that person? Or is it something bigger? Is it the one who can save you from all of it? Reframe your focus. Now, expanding on that a little bit, fear is an enlarging emotion. It's an enlarging emotion. Whatever you focus on tends to grow. At least in the sense that it, that it will fill your vision. Fear amplifies the object of its attention. Do you know anything about that? The more you worry about it, the worse it gets. Are y'all looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about? Try this one on for size. You get a headache and you start Googling. And after five minutes, you've decided you're terminal. Let's skip the Tylenol. I'm going to the ER. Fear's an enlarging emotion. It will magnify your problems, most times bigger than the problems actually are. The wrong kind of fear, that is. It will amplify things to the point where they are crowding out your life, they're corroding your peace. The worst case scenario, scenario becomes your expectation. But here's the thing, that, that enlarging effect, it works in both directions. I'm going to show you this. Verse 3, David says, glorify the Lord with me. Right? He's, he's leading worship here. But that Hebrew word glorify can also be translated as magnify. Magnify the Lord with me. It speaks of enlarging. It speaks of increasing. So, so putting all of this together, David is writing this at a time where his life is on the line. He feels afraid, but he chooses to reframe his focus. This issue looks big, but I know somebody who's bigger. That is what reverent fear does, church. It expands, it, it enlarges, it gives us a bigger vision of God. Our awareness of who God is expands to be more accurate and true to his character. Try to imagine God as big as you possibly can. I guarantee you he's bigger. And, and reverent fear, that, that, that respect, that awe for who God is will, will grow our view of God. And as God's, God's perception in our minds, our view of God increases, worry over your troubles will decrease. Again, it's not to minimize the seriousness of what you're walking through. Some of you are walking through some very serious things. David is in a situation where it's literally life or death. It's not that those things are small things. It's that God is bigger. His example, David's example, teaches us that big problems call for a bigger view of God, church. 
And, and I'm gonna go out on a limb here and, and speculate a little bit and wonder if sometimes we are so prone to fear and worry and anxiety and panic and dread and imagining the worst case scenario because our view of God is too small. Maybe we need a bigger vision. After all, this isn't the first time that David has faced overwhelming and oversized odds, is it? I, I, I seem to remember something about an incident with a giant from Gath. And there's a common denominator here. Size is relative. Size is, is, is all about your reference point. Goliath was big. He's bigger than David. That's what everybody on the battlefield saw. This guy is too big for us. He's bigger than me. That's what Goliath saw. Come at me, little boy. David saw differently. You're bigger than me. I'll give you that. Y'all are making the wrong comparison here. It's not about your size relative to me. The battle is the Lord's. This is his fight. And last time I checked Goliath, he's bigger than you. God is greater. Even when I'm walking through a valley overshadowed by death, I won't fear evil. I'm not concerned because the one who's with me is more than a match for anything that I will face. So say your prayers, Goliath. It's time for you to fall. Church, what David knew is still true. God is bigger. God is bigger. I don't know where that lands in your life. You can fill in the blank with anything you want to. God is bigger than. Put anything in there and it is still true. God is bigger bigger than, than, than whatever you face, whatever you fear, no matter how big or intimidating it may be, God is bigger. Do not let fear paralyze you. Let it propel you toward God. 